Welcome to another Blue Jay Beat Wrap-Up Show, featuring WhiteBlueReview.com's Matt DeMoranis. Good evening, everyone. This is uh, Matt DeMoranis from White and Blue Review, joined as always by Johnny Atala from the Omaha World Herald, coming to you live from the media room, Century Dick Center, after Creighton's 94-46 tune-up. Scrimmage, a little bit of just get the over the frustrations of Saturday. Yeah, maybe that, deal. that was yeah, it. Yeah, all, all of that. <laughs> Not get really. Right, get right game. Get, get right game, yeah, before they resume conference play on Saturday uh, at the clink against Marquette. So, um, yeah, we won't spend a ton of time on this game, we promise, but there are some things that did stand out as far as, um, you know, highlight performances and. Uh, from some guys that we feel uh, need to be, it's fair to say, key contributors going forward if Creighton is to be uh, to kind of reach close to their ceiling or as close to their ceiling as they can still get without Martin Crample. Um, and then we'll move on to Marquette before we wrap it up. So I guess first of all, John, uh, I'll let you kick it off if you want to just your initial thoughts on an interesting, it was an interesting game because Bemidji certainly came out ready to play. Creighton did very little scouting tonight, so they kind of learned on the fly about who yeah. they needed to lock up and things like that. So it was not the it was not a smooth start for the Blue Jays it's, by far. It's a it's a notable point that you made about the lack of. I mean, Creighton didn't do much in terms of scouting, and that's rare for this team, especially the way it plays defense. Like they. They're pretty scouting report sound, and they get into the details. Um, like most teams, yes, but I think, I don't know, I remember talking to Chris Holtman, uh, the new Ohio State coach at the start of the season, about Creighton and just sort of the rise of the program, and that was one of the things that he mentioned, that he thought this staff, uh, one of the things that, that separates this staff a little bit, or, or one of the things that he's noticed over the last couple of years of, of why the, the team has gotten better, program's gotten better, is their, their scouting has improved. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly on the defensive end. They just make it tougher on you uh, to do the things you want to do. So it's a different sort of approach to a game like this because you know you're going in against a team you're going to be better than and ultimately um, defeat, and you don't need to get into the details. But, yeah, Creighton had to learn on the fly a little bit and adjust on the fly. And even with that said, I didn't think that the Jays had the same amount of energy or intensity that Bemidji did. Which is kind of expected sure. Um, in a game against a Division Two opponent. I mean, that opponent hadn't played in, the cr- uh, in front of a crowd like this. Well, especially when you're in the middle of a grind that they are in. That it's hard to in. go yeah. – it's hard to drop it that down that much. Like, it's kind of going from first to fifth, really. Like, Yes. You know, so – And Bemidji, I mean, shoot, it's an exhibition for them. Like, yeah. it doesn't ma- – you can, you can literally come in here and, and shoot 100 threes and it doesn't matter. Nope. So it looked I, like they were going to try. It did for, for a, a minute. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they were jacked up, man, and and uh, they they I think they just caught Creighton, um, maybe flat-footed in the first five minutes or so, and and the Jays had to summon sort of that internal drive again and regain that energy and uh, that fire, that edge that they they played with, you know, for a good portion of the year, and they brought to the to the arena on Saturday. They just didn't have it for the first, I don't know, eight to ten minutes yeah, that's tonight. Right, right. But once they found it, it was no big deal. You know and, 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 
yeah, it was kind of a laugher after that. You know what it reminded me of, and maybe this is like, you know, talking. This would probably be like highlight our age here, but I, you know, I used to play video games all the time, and like you'd so like NCAA football was a big one. You'd be like in dynasty mode, you know, and then you get these like cupcakes in the middle of like right before you play like a really good team, and you're kind of excited, but you have to. You have to pull the cupcake out. For, yeah, for sometimes you, you just hit simulation. You know, yeah, you yeah just, but you or, the, or you're just like, you know what, I'm going to rack up some stats. I'm going to run my favorite plays like over and over again to just get touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. And then it starts going south, and you're like, crap, this isn't working out very well. So it felt like Creighton came in, and they were like, yeah, we're going to hit four of our first five threes, bury this team quick, and, you know, just yeah. get our work done and get out of there. And then they they weren't hitting any of those. Yeah, well, like, to your point, I think they, they made two of their first nine shots, and eight of those nine shots were jump shots. Yep. I think seven were threes, and then yep. they're a mid-range shot. So, yeah, they definitely tried that strategy, yeah. I think. And I think like. a guy like Marcus Foster, to me, kind of came across as a player who was like, I know I'm not going to play a lot tonight. Let me just try to get some shots <laughs> up and get <laughs> some points and some buckets. Get us and, going. Right, and, and they, didn't, they didn't go down, and they found they, you know, fell behind by ten. But as soon as they as soon as they sort of re-engaged their – um, that that right mental, they found that like right mental piece mm-hmm. um, from an attitude standpoint and from an energy standpoint. It was, you know, it was over. Yeah, after that, uh, yeah. I mean, Benji almost did practically nothing in the right. second half. Really, and one of the so. things that I mean, it's it was, you know, it's interesting to hear Coach McDermott talk about after game about how you know when they walked into the arena for shoot around, it was like pretty obvious that that there were lingering effects from the Xavier loss. Um, it's hard not to think about that game because it was the first time in the arena. They didn't come to the arena. Especially because they played it cool after the game, too. After the game on Saturday, they kind of played it like, well, you know. They said the right things, yeah. yeah. But we were wondering and, how that would happen. And it, it, how can it not? Sure. Right? Like, you can say it and say, okay, well, it's, we're moving on and we'll take the good from it. We're not going to focus on the foul call. But the fact is, is like, they hadn't. Um, they had the game. Like, they, they, they not were. Not just then, but like, they felt like they could have won that game easier than letting it get to that situation. Right. Like, they they felt like they didn't do – they made mistakes that even led it to get to that point and then to lose it on that manner. Like, it was almost like – in hindsight, it's almost like they were telling themselves this part of the game, we got to move on, things like that. And then they were, like, you know, trying to do it that way because they clearly were affected by it. Mm-hmm. So – Well, and, yeah, so so Tuesday afternoon when they came in for shoot-around, that was the first time they were in the arena since that. And McDermott mentioned that – the images kind of rush back, and it's hard not to think about it. So, they kind of played like that. They kind of played like maybe a little bit in a daze to start the game, which I, I guess, I, like we talked about after Saturday's game, maybe the timing of this Division Two matchup, um, you know, is it really it was it was put in place to keep the team in game mode and mm-hmm. keep it keep it fresh and keep the mind sharp and stay active um, and not allow yourself to kind of fall into a rut with a with a full week off that's why they played the game and you play it against a d2 team because it doesn't impact your rpi like you're not going to schedule you don't want to schedule a 300 rpi team um division one team that would hurt your standing your ncaa tournament resume this doesn't impact your rpi at all so you play a game where you know you can win and kind of maintain sort of that that mentality but as it turned out Creighton needed it kind of needed this game to get itself on back on the right track because mm-hmm. of what happened on Saturday and then you saw the first eight to ten minutes that it just the Jays just weren't quite mentally right and uh, I think they needed a full game to kind of get over it. I mean they talked about getting over it, but you kind of you need um, you need to be on the court and experience 
uh, you know, shots going in and running up and down yeah. the floor, getting some steals. Do you think kind of time will tell in that manner, though? Like, are you curious to see how the Marquette game starts? Given the fact that Creighton's technically, if you ignore this, te- they're technically coming off of a low um, that was almost a high point. Marquette's coming off of a low that they're just like, we need anything mm-hmm. right now. They're going to come in really, really desperate for a, a quality win. Um are you curious to see a little bit? Because I feel like the start of the game is still kind of up in the air um, in my mind because there's two teams that are kind of dealing with different experiences as far as how they just lost their last games um, and what they might come in mindset-wise. Yeah, a little bit, but then again, I don't know. I mean, this is a, it's a the, – the five starters this season, I mean, it's been rare when they've – kind of gotten off to shaky starts like there's only been a couple of them and Mm -hmm. um, I mean tonight was one obviously but um I don't know I kind of feel like this game may have um kind of served as that it sort of allowed allowed the players to kind of get over it yeah kind of shake it off a little bit makes sense um but it's notable I mean something to watch for sure Sure. like I I, well because I thought their intensity in practice yesterday was I was very surprised at how intense practice was for sure um, for this type of game. They didn't do much. Like again, they didn't scout. Like they weren't going through. You know, they weren't running slow motion. They really got down to like some basic fundamental drills. Um, you know, shell drill, three on zero, fast break, weaves. But like the details weren't there at all from the player standpoint. And the coaches, you know, there was con- practice was getting stopped a lot. Um, coaches were really trying to shore up. You know, the things that were. I mean, they weren't really sharp. So. It was an interesting practice because the physicality was was really ratcheted up from and I felt like the coaches were trying to make the players force the players to respond to a difficult situation because they kind of knew um you know they they know the players better than anyone they knew that the players were obviously affected by Saturday and they maybe were trying to jar them out of that um with a good physical practice yeah and I, so I, it was interesting because they now they have this game now they're going to take a day off and I feel like they're I'm interested to see how they approach practice in preparation for Marquette because I thought they were setting a good tone in practice as far as how they could respond from right. a difficult situation like they faced at the end of the game. On yeah, Saturday. now that you say something about it, it, it you know it was a, it was an odd practice on Monday just because um, there were probably more mental mistakes than normal. Mm-hmm. But then again, sometimes those the coaches let some of those slide because right. they're not really necessarily working on the little things. They're they're taking kind of a big picture view into. Uh, a game where you're, I mean, they'll stop play or stop stop a practice if they see something that they want to correct from a strategy standpoint. Sure. But you know, if you mix, miss a box out or something, maybe maybe you'll get something said to you after the the run of play stops. But that doesn't mean that they'll just stop everything. But on Monday they were kind of like I thought bringing attention or bringing to light some of those little things, uh, some of the uh, minor details of the game that maybe had escaped Creighton at times against Xavier. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were yeah, so there were there were some mistakes, but but then again, on the other hand, it, it was it was up and down and active and a lot of energy mm-hmm. from uh, from the coaches and the players too. I thought it was just I think I came in a little bit late to practice on Monday, but I, when I walked in, I was like, whoa! I mean, this yeah, it felt it intense. Felt, yeah, it felt like a you know start of the season type practice where it felt uh, like Nebraska week. Honestly, D Rock was <laughs> yeah. like just getting into guys. It felt like Nebraska week with him yelling at people. So, so I don't know if you need if they need that again. If that if that's what they need on Thursday, or if, or if Thursday's kind of more like a back to work. Hey, we're 
we're kind of back into the Which grind. is interesting because historically, the first day back from practice or a break is always a train wreck. From <laughs> yeah. a, from just like a detail standpoint, like the you can always tell the players had a day off before if you come in to watch a practice. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of mistakes and people are flat. Like, so I think Thursday. I'm interested to see how the coaches approach Thursday because I feel like Thursday might be similar to Monday yeah. in the way that they just kind of want to get the players to refocus and make sure they're sharp because. Friday's practice has to be sharp. Definitely. Because um, it's the last day of prep before, you know, they'll have one walk through Saturday, but they'll want them sharp with a long Saturday to wait for a 9 o'clock tip against Marquette. So Yeah, so the question is, and maybe we won't know until Saturday, but uh, did did Tuesday's game, tonight's game, accomplish what okay. it needed to? And I think that the goal was, at least after Saturday, the goal was, okay, Creighton just needs to kind of get back on track and uh, mentally sort of reset and put fully put that game behind it, even mm-hmm. though they were saying the players were saying the right things. Actually, get out on the court and see some see like I said, see some shots fall, um, get that confidence flowing, um, cheer on each other, and, and just have a, a you know sort of that night of good vibes sure. to uh, to extinguish whatever was left over from Saturday. Um, so we'll see if any of that lingers. Absolutely. That's I guess that's the question. Two two I mean, really the only two individuals that are worth highlighting in a in a game like this because guys that we don't talk about all the time, but guys that we are kinda like wondering going forward how big of a role they might have. One is obviously Jacob Everson. That's an easier one. We know he's we know he the coaches hope he has a big role going forward. Yeah. I think maybe we should start with Caleb Joseph though, because there's you noted something interesting in the middle of the game. We've obviously been asked more times than we would care to count how what he what his what Caleb Joseph's role at the point guard position could be on this team with you know with I guess inconsistent play from you know Davion Tyshawn. I know you know what you get out of Tyler, but like inconsistent play from the point guards that are getting a lot of the minutes, I guess would be fair to say, right? Yeah. So you wonder if Caleb can squeeze his way back into that rotation. But tonight you mentioned something that's very interesting because it's kind of more natural to the way he plays, and certainly the way he has played when he's gotten minutes. Um, this is just his ability to score the basketball and be aggressive and you know take defenders one-on-one and get to the cup and kind of like make the defense rotate and open things up that way as a wing player, as an right. option you know, to be a scorer off the bench. And that's Creighton didn't play him much at point guard tonight, I don't think at all, really, because he was on the floor with Tyler a lot, Tyshawn a lot. Yeah, that's what I remember. Him so he was mainly in that two-guard spot yeah. um, just trying to score the ball. And, you know, he ended up with seven points, two of three, had three steals. His defensive intensity was really, um, really what maybe kind of changed the – Changed the game a little bit towards the you know the end of the first half. Yeah, I don't um, think he was the only one off the bench. I mean, a lot of those guys brought yeah, more sure. energy and intensity, but he was certainly no, it was noticeable. He ripped that ball away from that dude who just yeah. I mean, he was just kind of standing with the ball, um, thinking about making a move, and and Caleb got his hand in there and just took it away from him. That was impressive. But, but doing it to Bemidji is one thing. So yeah, like true. you know that we that's 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 obvious, but it is interesting to note that he possibly has an opportunity. Has Tyshawn played much wing? Tonight he played a little bit. Yeah, Ty, I thought, he, I, thought I remember seeing him a couple times play some wing in Big East play, but not a lot. Um, 
I don't remember. I can't remember. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look, but I don't think T- Davion and Tyshawn have been on the floor together a lot. Yeah, that's probably accurate. So I think he's been on the floor with Tyler quite a bit, which obviously makes him the two. Right. There was that um, game. Um, there was one game where Creighton was Marcus and, and Taz both got in foul trouble. I can't remember which game that was. Um, maybe was that Providence? Maybe. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. These games run together, but. I guess my, my, my thought is is that you got Tyshawn and Mitch coming off the bench, and even mm-hmm. if Tyshawn's not necessarily playing the wing, um, he's still coming in in meaningful minutes, and there's there's pressure on them to contribute, and I think they're feeling it a little bit. Certainly um, Mitch is. For sure. Um, they, they know that their minutes are valuable, and this team needs some help. Their starters need help when they're on the bench. Like They, they don't want to have that drop-off um, when, when the starters go out, and maybe a guy like Caleb who – um, we've talked to him a lot. I mean, he's overflowing with confidence and he yeah. plays with a lot of aggression. Like maybe he can be the guy that provides a spark, um, and is maybe a little bit more willing to play through some mistakes mm-hmm. because he's had experience, um, you know, dealing with miscues before and and that sense of letting your team down a little bit and, and then but still yeah. kind of playing and there's a, there's a lot of pressure with coming in in his spot where he doesn't get a lot of playing time and being told to run the show yeah exactly you know what I mean? if he's if he's just playing two guard or, or three guard maybe he can get himself into that right. a little bit you know yeah um but you know the question was well, i think seton hall at home was the game where both of them got in foul trouble. okay that's what it was and then there was there was a weird i think what caleb tyshawn and mitch were all on the floor at the same time that sounds right i think caleb had like three turnovers in like five minutes like it did not yeah, go yeah. well so like that's the game i think uh i can remember both all three of them being on the floor together um but again like i think that's a lot for caleb to and the other thing too is like you know he wants to keep the tempo up he wants to get yeah. the thing moving but he's not into the game himself so like mistakes tend to happen in that situation right so if he can get himself into the game by playing off the ball a little bit, running through a couple ball screens, getting some contact, getting knocked around a bit, that helps you get into the flow of things more, and you know let the adrenaline die down a little bit, and you're you're just like kind of naturally in the flow of the game as right. opposed to having to make plays for others and deal with that, you know. Um, I think that, yeah, I think I I just, I mean, it's tough because you don't want to jumble up the lineup too much sure. at this point in the year, but. It's just uh, it's just it's, you, it's only interesting. That's all right. I'm saying. Going for it's like it's interesting to see how he plays off the ball. I'm not trying to put a lot of pressure on him. I'm not trying to say the coaching staff needs to make him Marcus's backup or anything like that. I'm just <laughs> right. it's interesting to see because I hadn't thought about it before you brought it up. I hadn't thought about the uh, the. I know that's the way he naturally plays, and I that's that's not something that I think is conducive to the point guard spot that Creighton wants out there. So. When you brought it up, I go, oh, that's an interesting point because that's naturally how he plays in the first place, and it might help him. Well, and the other thing, too, that's interesting is, like, since he's been playing on scout team for much of the year, he's a lot of times been – he's kind of tried to simulate or replicate an, an opposing team's two guard. Yeah. So when, you know, when we go to practice and we see him kind of balling out a little bit because he's – He's got kind of the freedom. Let's face it; like the the, the leash is off. They're like they're basically yeah. just like Caleb. Do as much as you can here to mimic uh, this this scorer. Um, like he's had some really nice days uh, where he's just kind of been in a score first mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's I think it's definitely notable, especially with the the struggles of Tyshawn and, and Mitch, mm-hmm. um, who you know Creighton Creighton can't survive with limited production from its bench. Like, it needs 
It needs a jolt mm-hmm. at some point, it, and it's going to at some point. They might be able to survive home games, but maybe yeah. on the road they need someone else to step up because uh, I don't know if Kyrie knows that he can do that yet. I don't think I don't think he knows he he can go pedal the metal as much as Marcus. Um, and then when you get into a rut at, on the road, you tend to be Marcus heavy. Yeah. You know, we've seen them be relying on Marcus St. John's uh, when things weren't going well, DePaul when things weren't going well. You know, they kind of just look for Marcus to bail him out a little bit. And when that's, you know, it's not always going to happen because he's not going <laughs> to, it's not human for him to be that good every night out. So, I mean, right. it's a lot of pressure to put on him. He wants it, but there's still a lot of pressure. So, with, there has to be something off the bench. You know, and when it and clearly Mitch is in a shooting slump that he's trying to, that's clearly mentally affecting him. You can see it on his face. Definitely. You can almost read his lips on the court because he kind of is his own critic. So he kind of talks to himself when he misses one. Um, and then Tyshawn really doesn't look like his confidence is shaken, but it, I mean his jumper certainly hasn't been falling as much as. I mean, he's shooting is just as poorly as Mitch yeah. is in Big East play too. Well, we both think they're better. I mean, well, well, certainly are. Mitch is, but like, we well, think Tyshawn's no, a good shooter too. too. Yeah. He's a good shooter. He's a good yeah. shooter. Um, they both are. So, I mean, it's, some of it's just like you. It's it's part of that. I think I feel like it's. Part, I haven't talked to these guys about it, but I I mm-hmm. wonder if it. I gotta assume it is like they're part of this team and they know they play key roles and they come off the bench and they're expected in this offense to hit three-point shots. And when they know that they, you know, last game, oh, man, I missed two wide-open shots. Those got to go down. And now here I am getting the ball again. I'm wide open. I got to hit this. And you're thinking about how important it is to hit it instead of just, like, catching and ripping. Um, and then it just builds on it on itself when you're um, when, when you're not hitting. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, that's, why, that's why I wonder if, if uh, I did talk to Mitch about it before they went to Xavier, and he went four for eight. So maybe we should just, maybe we should just talk maybe, to him about, about it every about time. It, like yeah. before every game, we should just talk to him about <laughs> it. Maybe um, so that's the last good shooting game he's had. Right before we, he was in a little bit of a funk there. I don't think I think he was what zero for six in Big East play before that game. I don't then think he, he had four for eight, and then he's been two for two for twenty twenty three now. Right, uh, three for twenty four. I think is what okay. it is now. Because he hit one, he hit his eighth one the night after missing his first seven. So, um, yeah, he's definitely fighting it. Um, and they're and you know with Marquette twice on the schedule, with DePaul playing the way they are, um, with Butler the way they shoot it at Hinkle, Creighton's going to have some firepower from someone. Yeah, like they're going to need to hit threes because yeah. it's largely because they they it's tougher to get it's tougher for them now to get. Easy Villanova buckets. too, Jesus. I mean, yeah, <laughs> the team that the best three point shooting team in the land. Lord God, uh, I can't believe we forgot them. Yeah, well, definitely like, the best one in the Big East. They, yeah, I mean to match that firepower, you're gonna have to hit some shots because, especially because Creighton, it's harder for Creighton now to get easy buckets inside in the paint. Yeah, um, you know, nobody's posting up, and um, it's harder to get those lobs. Although maybe this is a way to transition Good to segue into Jacob Epperson to Jacob right Epperson now, because yeah. he had. What do you have? Three lobs today. Two, I think, I think those were three. Two were done. Someone was a layup off the glass. Um, yeah. I think he maybe mishandled one, but eight. You know, the more in-game reps he can have running that action of yeah. just setting the ball screen and rolling to the rim. To where that becomes muscle memory. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Creighton. Creighton is going to need that for sure, uh, because uh, teams are at some you know teams are. They they're pretty well conditioned to try to take that away, but mm-hmm. if if that option isn't on the, on the floor anymore, then they can reset sort of their strategy a little bit and and tweak their defensive philosophy to um, to shade 
and and take away other aspects of Creighton's game. So they need that element, and uh, and they got a couple easy buckets today. And I don't know, Epperson. It, it it seems like it's hard to judge because it's Bemidji, but it does seem like he's getting more comfortable. Um, That's what I noticed. Like the lobs looked easier tonight. Offensively, finishing. He, oh, he yeah, looks more comfortable offensively. Yeah, I, don't, I don't really. I expect that to be quite a jump defensively yeah. if it ever happens this year. So. <laughs> Yeah, offensively is where, I mean, it just looked like there it was more natural him catching those things. It didn't look as slow motion as, but first certainly Georgian had no idea what they were, like he was not on the scouting report at all. If they if they if they scouted at all, like so when he comes in and dunks, they're like, oh, who's that? <laughs> yeah, you know what's that guy doing? And then Villanova was next, so you know he got a couple rim runs and you know, but it lately it's been more difficult for him. Yeah. So I think you know there's. He's, he doesn't have to. There's not much he can put on the Sky Report at this point. But it, the the thing that I thought was interesting was first of all, 18 minutes tonight is huge for him because that's game reps. Um, but finishing the lobs looked easier, so it looks like game shape is getting, it's getting closer to game shape, which is, which is huge because then if you're not worried about fatigue, everything probably comes pretty easy as far as the movement and the actions go. Right. But three for three from three tonight, mm. and it's interesting because. First of all, he's worked he's worked really hard on that the mechanics of his jump shot since he got here. They the coaches have tweaked it and changed it um, to the point where the release is a little bit higher, and he's not necessarily. I think what did you call it a couple weeks ago? An elevator. It's like an elevator where it I starts. didn't say that. I thought that there was like a little bit of a hitch in the shot. Okay, I think he's eliminated that. It's a cleaner yeah. sort of like transition. Yeah. From catch so to yeah, shot. but it usually it's when he first got here this summer. It started at the waist. And it raised up like level by level by level, and then it was like <laughs> it, so. I, I maybe it, was, it wasn't you. It wasn't someone described it like I thought someone described it like an elevator. Maybe I just thought that in my own head, but like it felt it. like an elevator when he, when he was shooting the ball. So now it's gone. It's a more natural, fluid motion and release. And he's a good shooter. Like he shoots like the, the Creighton's bigs. Obviously, practice threes a lot. You know, Toby Martin when he was healthy, um, Manny. And Jacob were very good at shooting three, so I was curious to see if Jacob. And I think so I talked to uh, Coach McAllister the other couple weeks ago about if if Jacob is a pick and pop option. Yeah. Because right now they've got him just rolling to the just rim, diving. The whole, just yeah. diving the whole time, right? But he is a he can hit threes. Yeah. So if he's a pick and pop option, that's obviously that obviously opens things up. Whether they think you're only going to the rim, that opens the perimeter up. And when they see you knock down a jumper and they play that, honestly, then it opens the rim up. So, like, he has that ability, that versatility, which is why I was kind of a – I thought – that's why I thought he would play this season because he has the same type of versatility Martin does as far as making a defense react to him in ball screens, which opens up, a you know, options A, Marcus Foster, B, Harry Thomas, everybody else around the, the perimeter. Um, so for him to knock down three and go three for three – and show it off and put it on tape and maybe give himself some confidence that I can do this, you know, within the action of the offense, I think is I think is pretty big because I think that's something being a stretch five, that's not a lot of something people a lot of people, a lot of teams have, you know what I mean? So for a guy that big to step out, first of all it's hard to contest that because he's so tall and he shoots it so high, so it's it's something he could probably get off if he wanted to. Right. You know what I mean? They're not gonna be playing in the drive or anything like that, so I think putting, I think getting three knocked down tonight was huge for his confidence, and I'm curious to see if he can employ that in Big East play and um, kind of take advantage of what teams think he does as far as just being a dive guy to the rim the whole time. Yeah, that'll be 
It'll be something to watch. I wouldn't. I would be surprised if he tried more than one a game okay. in any situation. That's but. what Max said the night too. It's like don't think he's Corver out there, like, <laughs> <laughs> which you know I didn't, but like I understand where he's coming from with you know because that yeah they they need somebody to, you can't not every, they don't want everyone you know hit setting a screen and popping right like, they need somebody to dive to the rim and if it's not going to be Everson then your options are kind of limited. But the thing Martin was really good at, which I think people underrate is his ability to read those screens himself right that's the thing that when jacob got into the fold they were not having him do he were he was doing one thing yeah he's not reading and reacting he's going to the rim martin was good at reading the defense and reacting to the way they were playing his ball screen so he knew when to slip and go to the rim for the lob and he knew when to pop out for the three yeah that's because martin's been in the system for three years and he's very good at it jacob wasn't going to get to that point uh, they thought because of his inexperience, but if he's getting more natural and he kind of can understand when he needs to step out and when he needs to dive, or even if he accidentally does it right, who knows? However, it gets to that point, <laughs> yeah. if he does it right, but if he finds himself open on the perimeter, I feel like that's a shot he should at least have a green light at. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good point you make. I mean, I'm of the mind that as much whenever when Jacob Epperson's on the floor. If he is able to, I mean, his sole job should just be wear out the five, the opposing five. So set a ton of screens and dive to the rim. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like you're saying, if you're mentally also sort of testing that defense to um, to not only respect the the potential of the lob, but also respect the potential of a, a, a pick-and-pop situation, um, you know, it obviously diversifies what Craig can do. So. Yeah, I'm curious to see if he can if if he can keep it up. But he certainly has it in him. He has the capability. To, mm-hmm. He showed it. He went three for three. So, um, yeah, I like I like what he I like the I think we've seen some progression from him. And I like what he's done over the last four to five games. Like kind of gradually, offensively getting there. But um, you know, the the questions on the other end are are pretty pretty glaring at the moment yeah i wonder if he's going to be able to answer those two this year like the it's really Maybe clear not. that physically physically he's not yeah. going to and to be fair he's gone up so he's gone up against jesse govan who yep. is i don't know definitely a top five big um had double the double tonight and a win at butler right so he was uh, huge. had to had to play nova who Spellman. doesn't doesn't necessarily have i mean spellman's not back to the basket elite level but big, he's probably a but tough he's, cover though. he's yeah, yeah he does a lot he's probably the most versatile big in the league for sure um, and then Marich, he pl- plays Marich at DePaul, and then Xavier's two. Oh yeah, big men. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's those four games that, aside from Seton Hall and, and Angel Delgado, those are the those are the next four. Yeah. Uh, in terms of toughness of, or th- in terms of having big men who are going to challenge you on the defensive on the end defensive the end. Yeah. Yep. So uh, that perhaps this this next stretch playing Marquette. Um, although Nova and DePaul are in it too, so you're going to see those guys again. But yeah, but uh, the mean, games look, against Marquette maybe will be a good way to move on to Marquette because Marquette and Butler like, too. Marquette really has like a three, a three pronged like patchwork interior. Um, and Theo John, I think is a real. I I like Theo John. I like just his, I like his body. I like his his skill set. I don't think Marquette uses it, but I mean, I think he's a really talented player. Um, and I think he's maybe an impact player at that position going forward since he's only a freshman this year. But he's an interesting uh, case right now because he had 14 points, six boards, five blocks, went six for six, 
from the field against Providence. Uh, they lost by two at home to the Friars. Um, but he's been sick. He missed Seton Hall and St. John's with some what they're just calling a virus or an illness. They didn't mm. really say what. So his status is kind of up in the air for for Saturday. You certainly think of it's like if he's sick, he'll be fine yeah, with a week off, right? Yeah, a week. Yeah. yeah, he missed a week and then has another week. But to, to miss two games with an illness, right. that's unusual to me. So it might be something more more severe than just a you know just a bug you know so that's the i mean that's the thing about marquette last year it was a tough matchup for creighton luke but fisher. It, but it was yeah. mostly because they had well i think i think luke fisher was the guy uh i think you could also argue Caden reinhardt Caden reinhardt was totally the guy yeah. but like i thought fisher luke- benefited from the problems that creighton had on the perimeter they had to focus so much on stopping the, the right the they four would, that could but if threes my argument was that if they didn't have luke fisher then um Creighton could handle the issues that it had offensively and not, or had handled the issues that it had defensively around the perimeter mm-hmm. and not get burned for it. Sure, but Fisher made I totally agree. Fisher burned them for it because yeah. they had both. They times. couldn't take away everything, uh, or you know what they were sort of allowing to take place with what was was playing Fisher one on one, and he. He definitely took advantage of that. Now, now he's not there, Mm-mm. and and you lose a guy like Caden Reinhardt, who at the four spot gave Creighton all sorts of issues, huge problems. So those two guys, they were one two on sort of like the problem, the list of problems for Creighton in that match, mm-hmm. matchup against Marquette, and they're not there anymore. So I, I actually think, think that started Toby's ankle problems really in I, that game. Yeah, remember there was a ball screen situation where Toby rolled it trying to keep up with Reinhardt, and then. Was never. I mean, he's been battling it ever since, right. really. So that was kind of the blame, start of it. That's blame Caden Reinhardt. Right yeah. But, so I, I, th- I just think that it's a much better, it's a much better matchup. And then when you think about having Creighton's wings and point guard, uh, Davion Mitch is six three. Tyshawn Alexander, what is he? Six three, six four. Mm-hmm. Um, you bring Mitch Ballack off the bench, who's six five. And then you obviously have the length of Kyrie Thomas and the the explosiveness of Marcus Foster, like. Those, those that backcourt matched up against Marquette's backcourt. Yeah, you'd think that Creighton's going to have the advantage. Um, mm-hmm. As as electric and impressive as Marcus Howard and Andrew Rousey are, um, as scorers, they are very vulnerable on the defensive end. Marquette yeah. as a team, especially with those two guys on the floor. I mean, you just look at it. I mean, they're tenth in the league in defensive efficiency and effect and effective field goal percentage. So, like, they don't stop you at all. Yeah, that's why I think it's a this matchup. While last year it was a definite concern, and by the Big East tournament, everyone was like, "As long as Creighton doesn't play Marquette, it's fine." Like, yeah. we'll take Villanova over Marquette. Like, <laughs> just don't give us Marquette. That that, right. that type of thing. Right. Whereas this year, I don't think. I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong on Saturday, but I think it's a much favorable matchup. And I mean, obviously, you can't allow Marquette to shoot the lights out from three, and that's easier said than done. But mm-hmm. um, that's about at this but it's point. Easier it seems, this year than it was last. Right. They and, really have three guys who do it. And I, and I, think, I, and I feel uh, like I also feel like this year it's as if you as long as you don't I mean easy, again easier said than done but as long as you don't experience sort of a barrage of an unreal barrage of threes mm-hmm. um, you can handle you can handle it and, and handle the matchup and be fine um, yeah as far as your three point shooting goes uh, I mean Howard Rousey and Howard take the most for sure Hauser how, did I say Hauser? I think Howard, you said Howard, Rousey, Rousey and, and Howard. Did I really? No. I thought you did. Maybe not. No, you're probably right. It feels like <laughs> there's a lot of them. Um, 
But the, the I think the other one, the other one who takes, who who probably can shoot it, and you might have to honor it because of his percentages is Elliot. Uh, he's fifty percent in league play, but he's only attempted twenty two. So mm. that's enough to be like he's a shooter, but it's not like he's going to be taking Howard and Rousey and Hauser's shots away from them. Um. So I'm just curious, like how how the perimeter battle might go. Um, and when it's just because it feels like it's going to be a battle of who can get the most out of their backcourt, right? Because if Howard and Rousey are both on, which is the rarity, they're never both on at the same time. That's the kind of like the running joke so far this year is that they both have had really amazing games, but never at the same time. <laughs> maybe so maybe it, Providence at Providence didn't Rousey? I mean, Howard went for like fifty-two, and yeah, didn't How- and Rousey, Rousey still okay. have like? 20 or 30 in the game. I don't, I don't know, know how much there's left to score after 52, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Um, but no, that's... that's that, those are the three, but like right. last year, like you talked about, there's there were so many more options that Creighton had to worry about. Like, Jawan yeah. Johnson in Milwaukee oh, yeah, he was like... Him. He yeah, it was like... Because he was the last option they left unchecked. Uh-huh. And he was like, all right, I'll just bang wide up in corner threes while you guys double Fisher and take Reinhardt out of things. It's right. fine. And then he did. So, like, I don't think there's... I don't think... Elliot might be that guy this year that hurts him if they try to like let him go, you know, roam free or go unchecked or try to close out him on late. But like, that, I don't feel like there's a guy that there's a key fourth guy right now from Marquette right. that's just gonna make them that's gonna make them pay on the perimeter. Defensively, they're coming off allowing 44 to Shamari Pons, and I watched that game and they did a lot of switching to where Hauser was guarding Shamari. Oh. So I'm trying to picture how that goes with Marcus Foster. And I feel like there could be another 44-point game in the Big East <laughs> if, that's if that happens. continues yeah. to happen. So, like, what do you think from a Marquette standpoint this week of preparation is, like, do you see that's what I was as far thinking. as how they might try to, like, well, make was, Foster a volume Well, shooter? I was wondering, I was like, you know, will they, will they totally come up with some, like, really inventive game plan, like kind of bucking some of the trends that they normally have? Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe something they haven't tried or they were saving in their back pocket for a certain situation because you have a week to implement it. Um, kind of almost similar to what Creighton tried to do against Villanova. Yeah, I mean, that's they, right. right. They had a couple extra days to prepare, so they unveiled a matchup zone, and they were like, well, look, the man-to-man that everyone else is playing against Villanova hasn't worked, so we might as well take this extra time and try to do something different mm-hmm. to give us a, you know, maybe maybe this will maybe this will catch them off guard and allow them um, – uh, allow us to stay in the game. It didn't work, obviously, but um, you know maybe Marquette's coaches can come up with something that they haven't shown yet that that will allow them to um, uh, to not Creighton off. off I'd off be kil- surprised if they didn't. I- like, there's no way they're going to come in thinking that their defensive game plan against St. John's worked. Right. Because I mean, he just lit them up. I mean, and Creighton has a guy who can. Who probably can do that easier than Shamari because he can shoot the ball yeah. better than Shamari. I mean, the, I the think that the challenge Garden Creighton is that um, I think your best bet is to switch all screens. Okay. I think what most teams have done. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe you don't Marquette switch. doesn't have the athleticism to do that. I, I know, that's what I'm saying. They that's, get that's bad problem. matchups when they do that. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think that some teams have not switched the five. Okay. But for the most part, I feel like when, when Creighton has had its issues or kind of like slumped a little bit offensively, it's because teams have switched all screens and, yeah. and it's really made them into kind of like a one-on-one type offense. Where That's what of, it does, absolutely. In, instead of them kind of moving the ball around and, and whipping it around and sharing the ball and creating for each other, um, it's kind of just like it kind of slows 
they're it, I think it, it kind of eliminates their movement a little bit. Well, grants the offense kind of the hard, right? Yeah, I mean, Butler so, second half, Xavier whole game. Um, yeah. Those are two Providence. Examples. I feel like they switch every, most everything. Villanova. I feel like switch most everything. I'd have to go back and look at it, but sure. Um, I know at the end of the year last season, everyone was switching. It seemed like every single team that played Grayton was switching everything. Um, but yeah, Marquette just. I don't. I think that that's a bad recipe with the unless these guys are able to kind of find a and they really plug into the scouting report and and sort of zero in on some of the Creighton's tendencies. And, yeah. But I don't. But you know what? The, you know what? An interesting one is for Creighton if they do. If Marquette, if they do notice that Marquette is switching a lot, like, and you're, I'm assuming Rousey is guarding Mintz, putting Mintz and Rousey into a lot of, like, ball screens. They, they don't, they don't screen, they don't have Marcus Foster be the screener a lot, but like, trying to make sure Rousey is switching on to Kyrie or Marcus as much as possible. Yeah. Because then both <clears throat> offensive options are open. They can both take him into the post, or they can kind of size him up yeah. and. Bang a three. Well, and I think it'll be a similar situation. I mean, I, I'd, I'd imagine they try to get some post-ups even against Marcus Howard too. But yeah, um, uh, because Kyrie and, and Foster, they're feels like their percentages are pretty high. I think te- teams have definitely tried to, at all costs, take that away, that element of their game away as, as best they can. Um, they tried to post Mark. I remember they tried to post Marcus up late against Savior, and, and it resulted in a steal. Mm-hmm. They kind of get the entry pass in there, but. Um, but these these two guys, Marcus Howard and and Andrew Rousey, are two of the more sort of just smaller stature stature guards in the league. Mm-hmm. And when you have the physical, the physicality and the explosiveness that Kyrie and Marcus do, like yeah, you want to isolate them as much as possible. So I I just think that that um, to me Marquette's best recipe for staying in the game or or winning the game is just hitting a lot of threes absolutely and that's kind of what they do and so how do you i feel? mean that's that's sort of their formula no, anyway no doubt so, Every, like, i mean it's, it's very simple 41 percent from three in big east play mm-hmm. um, but when the games where they don't shoot well they, you they, can yeah, tell because right. they don't really have a secondary um as far as what to do when that's not going uh ronnie harrell probably is a guy to circle going forward right because his matchup with hauser defensively is mm-hmm. might be the game decider right if, if definitely and then on the other end too yeah. taking advantage of his quickness and speed and especially if if marquette loads up to try to you know if they're helping off certain guys to uh to draw more attention or pay more attention to Kyrie and marcus mm-hmm. uh perhaps that does open up things for ronnie harrell and davion mintz i think those two guys on offense will be pretty davion's key. had two pretty good games against marquette has it was he good yeah he, well he was good he was, I think he was pretty good was at he Marquette. Good in okay. I think he was pretty good at Marquette. Okay, that pace. I mean, he's the, Davion yeah. loves to get up and down the court. Yeah, and, yeah, stuck to the floor. Absolutely. Right, and I think that that I would imagine on Saturday it's going to be a pretty up tempo, um, high energy game. That that, that mm-hmm. you'd imagine Davion's going to be pretty comfortable in that. So, um, I feel like he's. I, th- I feel like Davion uh, is. He there's fewer of those kind of like I don't know. Lowell games from him uh, over the past eight to ten games. Like, there's maybe been a couple stretches where you're like, gosh, you know, you haven't gotten, they haven't gotten out of that point guard spot what they what they needed to. But, um, man, for the most part, I think he's been pretty good. Yep. And 
but I think that from a scoring standpoint, they could they could use more from him. They really could use more from a lot of those guys to uh, attack aggressively as scorers. But uh, but yeah, I think he's still trying to kind of feel that out. But I, I think that's that's one of the questions for Creighton going forward is just how you know what you're going to get from Marcus and and Kyrie, but can you consistently rely on? Um, those secondary options we have already talked about the freshmen, but Davion Mintz and Ronnie Harrell, and uh, typically I think Toby Hagner, he's kind of in a little bit of a shooting slump as well too. But mm-hmm. typically, you know what you're going to get from him too. So, um, yeah, I think I think this this final stretch sets up pretty well for Creighton. Like, it's not going to be easy to play yeah. Marquette twice in five games, and DePaul is a tough matchup because of their size inside and Villanova's Villanova and Butler on the road road is not easy. All of a sudden it's a desperate team. They'll be desperate. But then again, Creighton has matched up really well against Butler over the last couple, couple of years. Absolutely. So there are five games right there that are all winnable. I'm not saying that Creighton's going five and Oh, I don't think that's possible. Um, Providence is the team right next to them in the standings. And if you look at what they have left, I can see them losing all six of their remaining games. Like it's a tougher, it's a much, it's a much tougher stretch. So, um, you know, three and two should be the goal at the very least, okay. and I think they could they could do better than that if if they're completely engaged and from a mentality standpoint, a lot of things that we talked about leading off this podcast, if they're in the right place after the Xavier loss, mm-hmm. um, if that if that if they can turn that into a positive, some of the veterans were talking about it over the last couple of days of like you know, hey, this is evidence of what we can be. We didn't even play our best, but look where we were. We almost had. Uh, the number five team in the country beat. Yeah, like this. This could be a formula. Look what we did on defense. You know, in the second half, we held them to twenty nine points. That's a top ten offense or top ten efficiency offense in the country that we slowed down. I mean, like they're, they're sort of relaying that narrative to the team and and trying to get the the uh, the full group to buy into that. But the question is, will they? And um, at least for the first eight to ten minutes tonight, it didn't seem like they did. Mm-hmm. Now they settled in, but the, you know we'll we'll see on on Saturday if uh, if they're fully past it. I'm glad you brought up the Big East because I wanted to wrap this thing up tonight with just uh, kind of looking around the league um, outside of what Creighton's facing with Marquette on Saturday. Tonight, Georgetown beats Butler at Butler, so they continue to play really well. Georgetown now has Seton Hall and Butler in the last three days. Um, in their back pocket, probably not something we expected, but um, you know, and St. John's has Villanova and Marquette in theirs. Uh, DePaul almost had Creighton, and then they smashed Providence. Something seriously. Um, so the bottom of the league, it's you don't want to be facing them right now because they're starting to get some teeth all of a sudden. So Creighton's done with the bottom of the league, except for DePaul. Except for DePaul, one more home game against DePaul. So and Marquette's kind of. Close to the bottom. I mean, the market might find themselves at the bottom if they if they don't keep up with the rest of their what's down there. Right. Um Because they have to play St. John's one more time. They too, play St. John's one more time in DePaul and Georgetown once, so they got all three of those guys. Yeah, that's and two fun. against Creighton. So they have three of the hottest teams in the league, and then Creighton. And then Creighton. <laughs> that's yeah. fun. That's fun. Uh, well, Joe will like that. So I guess how do you feel about uh, tomorrow? There's some interesting matchups. Uh, Villanova, Providence. Providence is a team that obviously just got smashed by DePaul, and now they have to play Villanova. That's not great. Um, Seton Hall, Xavier in Cincinnati, and then St. John's and DePaul. Um, that's the second meeting between those two. DePaul won the first one. 
Uh, Xavier beat Seton Hall in New Jersey, and then Villanova won a home game against Providence earlier. So, um, all teams that are kind of looking to even that even that up. I'm at the point now with you where I'm just like I have no idea. Right. Like I think what, I think Nova and Xavier are the teams that you can rely on, but um, you know Xavier should have lost to Creighton and probably should have lost to Georgetown. Absolutely should have lost to Georgetown. Um, yeah. Villanova. You know, they, I think what's their luck? Their, Xavier's luck is aren't they the only? They're the only top one hundred Big East team, I think, in luck as far as Ken Palm has that luck. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, Xavier's one of the Xavier's up there. They they found a way. I mean, again, I don't know it. Some you got to be good to win some of those situ- to to pull through in some of those situations. But they're nine and zero in games decided by six points or less. That's this unreal. Year. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that doesn't balance itself out until, like, the next two years. The next season, yeah. yeah the next yeah. season or the year after that. Right. So um, they might be just the team of destiny. I don't know. But then in Nova, you'd think – I mean – They're struggling right now. Once though. they get healthy, yeah. I think that um, I'll, we'll have a better read on them. So I don't know what's going to happen when they go into Providence, honestly, because Providence is going to be a pretty desperate team. Mm-hmm. The thing about – the only thing about DePaul and Georgetown playing better is, like, you can clearly tell that those two teams are better teams than they were two months ago. But – their RPIs aren't good, and so when you when you take a loss to that, mm-hmm. I mean, I thought I think the Paul that loss that probably I'd have to go back and look at it, and it may not end this way, but I have to think currently at this moment to drop them. Yeah, and I think the, I think the Paul's a, a quadrant four loss if you lose to them at home. That's right. Yeah, um, they're like one sixty five or something in, in the RPI, or maybe they're one. Maybe I think they're. I thought they were in one thirties. Maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, that drop. They're one sixty three in the RPI. That's Paul is. crazy. So that's a that's a, it, the group three. I think goes to one sixty. Providence went from twenty seven to forty two with that loss. Right. That's a, it's, it's a killer. Dropper. It's a killer loss uh, to suffer at home, and that's why it's going to be a really important game for Creighton when DePaul comes to town. Mm-hmm. Uh, but suddenly, like Providence has a couple bad losses on their on their resume. Like their NCAA uh, profile looks a little shaky. I mean, Butler hasn't beaten. A team in the top half of the Big East standing since they beat Villanova. Yeah, um, and way early, like week two of the of the league league season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so their NCAA tournament standing is within question, even though they're like, I think the computers and the metrics, the analytics really like Butler a lot. But I mean, that Ohio State win is going to carry them a long way. They, for they sure. really and have to go in the Ohio State and Villanova; yeah. those are two Absolutely. really quality wins. Yeah. Um, and you know, Seton Hall. I mean, RPI is great, but they've stumbled um and they're going to be tested immensely against Xavier and the league is just eating so it Villanova has found itself somehow in that. We used to think Villanova was immune to the cannibalism of the league. <laughs> they found themselves in that by you know with the loss of St. John's with some close calls like they 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 struggled against Butler at home again. So yeah, Nova goes to Providence. They still have to go to Providence, to Xavier, to Creighton, to Seton Hall. Yikes, man. And and like oh, that's a week easy. ago if you would have said, "Hey, how's Providence going to do in those games?" I would have been like or how's, it say, how's Villanova going to do in those games, those four road tests? You would have I, I would have said, yeah. oh, they'll be all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but now, I mean, the way that the the league has kind of played out and considering how many teams are going to be pretty desperate to solidify their NCAA tournament chances down the stretch, like, I don't know. I think it's going to be pretty wild. We might find ourselves heading into New York City, like in, like walking into a war zone at MSG. Like, <laughs> right. Like, there might be a lot of, lot of bubbles on the court at, in Madison mm-hmm. Square Garden. No, just like, definitely. I, I honestly, I really do think that the only teams that are solidly in, I think Seton Hall's in. 
Do you think that's what they're solid? Just because they got that, they got the non-conference Texas winning Tech, Texas Tech Louisville. and Louisville. Yeah. Um, those are those are going to carry them pretty far. Yeah. Um, they probably can't afford any more. Um, you know, bad losses. Yeah, you don't. You don't want to be stumbling be, at this point. Yeah. But I think I think Seton Hall. I think there's there are four teams in, and then three teams on the bubble. That's what it seems like right now. Yeah. Butler, Providence, Marquette. And, and you know what? <laughs> we said it tonight, and it's like I think it's something worth mentioning. Like Georgetown looks like an NCAA tournament team right now, mm-hmm. but you played that garbage non-conference schedule. And you yep. did not give yourself a chance. You have to win the Big East tournament with that nonsense, no doubt, because you didn't play anybody. Yeah, it's and you blew point. games against Syracuse. You blew an early one against Butler. You blew one against Providence. Like three games that had you played somebody in the non-conference that maybe have had tested that situation out for you. <laughs> You'd know how to finish those types of situations, right? Like right. that's how you learn. The the amazing thing about that schedule being so as bad as it was, like I don't, I don't know what Georgetown would have been able to do to earn an at large berth. Like they might have had to go with twelve and six in the league or yeah. something like that. I mean, uh, that thing is going to drag it drags down the resume. So so, but if they had like a six win non conference where they had played somebody, maybe accidentally got Syracuse at the end of their non con. Yeah. Um, you know, just finish that one off like. If you if you go six and six in the non conference, and then pick off the teams you're picking off in Biggie's play, yeah, you're an NCAA tournament team. Yeah, may I mean six and six is a little bit because their Biggie's record right now, what are they five and eight or something in the league, uh, five and nine. Okay. So six and six isn't good enough. But they've also dropped. But they also blew Xavier. <laughs> oh yeah, blew, yeah. If so they, your thought is if, if they had they learned how to finish those games yeah. in by by trial by fire non conference instead of trial by fire Big East. Because clearly they're coming out of trial by fire in the Big East looking better for it. Mm-hmm. Had they done that earlier in the season, they'd be more prepared to finish off Providence, to finish off Xavier, uh, maybe to steal one in Omaha here against Creighton. Because right, that chance. was a one-point game Definitely. at one point, right? And they cut that to one. Um, yep. Butler at home to start off Big East play where they had a 20-point lead and blew that. And, you know, they're a box that away from winning that game. They're a box that away from sweeping Butler, essentially. Yeah, they, that's, they four, just... that's four losses they turn into wins right there. Yeah. They're third place in the league. <laughs> Because they can't finish, so yeah. that's all I'm talking about. Like, yeah. had you tested yourself, you'd be in an entirely different position. You pay Patrick Ewing would be an NCAA tournament coach his first year at Georgetown, but they didn't play anybody. They have no resume to speak of, and all they're doing is playing spoiler at this point. Right. So I, I wonder how Hoya fans are reacting to that, because I assume they thought, yeah, this team, this roster is not ready for it. Play the cupcakes, get some confidence going. And you know, just kind of punt on this season and build for the future. But the way it's kind of setting up, they they might have had a shot. They in my opinion, shot, you know yeah. what I mean. Like we don't know how it turns out, but they might have had a shot. Well, when you got, I mean, you think about the guys they have with Jesse Govan, who's a, like an NBA draft prospect, sure. and Marcus Derrickson, who's playing out of his mind right now. Right. I mean, but he, we saw some of those signs from those guys, those two in particular, um, a year ago. And like, obviously, the question is who. Or, or what kind of guard play Torchon was going to get, and they have been pretty inconsistent at times there. But um, yeah, that's a, that's an like having those two guys at the top of your um, like at the top of your lineup every night is a good place to start. That's yeah. hard. It's not easy to match Govan and Derrickson. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's a little bit unfortunate that Georgetown didn't test itself in the non-conference, um, but. Here we are. Here we are. Last thing I'll get you out on, because you are an AP voter. Um, we're gonna put you. We're gonna put you out there right now. You had Xavier number one in your ballots. 
this week. Yeah. And then the committee released their top 16. Villanova and Xavier both one seeds. Does the Big East have two one seeds on Selection Sunday? Do you think it continues? Do you think they can stay there, I guess, is my position. I think Villanova... Um, Villanova's got to... I mean, we we talked about those four games. It's it has to play on the road, assuming that it survives that stretch, gets gets healthy. I think Villanova has, I would say, like the higher percentage chance of getting that one seed. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm just not quite sh- I'm not quite sure if I want to buy in on Xavier yet. I've ranked them number one in the country just based on what they've done to this point, but they've been really fortunate. Yes, and I wonder if that's going to catch up with them at some point. Uh, but. Yeah, I, I think – I don't think – I think Xavier's going to be a two-seed. Okay. That's my pre- sort of guess, prediction, look ahead. I don't think that they're going to hold on to that one, number one slot. Um, but you like to use the whole resume when you vote. Yeah, when I vote, I definitely – you feel like they were number one this week. I definitely go from start to finish. Um, I think, you know, I think them in Virginia, it was – I went back and forth a lot. And I had a hard time just – Again, I I do try to go the whole resume, but that last week where Virginia loses at home to VTech and Xavier gets two road wins at two mm-hmm. pl- t- really tough places to play, it was hard to sort of in my mind justify ranking Virginia over Xavier uh, based on based on that just that fact alone. But Xavier has actually picked up um, because I mean they they're on an eight game winning streak right now. If yeah. you go on an eight game winning streak in the Big East, like you're the uh, amount of quality wins that you add to your to your resume is it just skyrockets. So they're yeah. at the, they're at a point now. They're, they're almost at a point where two seed might be their floor because of what they've already. It's, it's up. very possible. I I would agree with that almost as long as they don't suffer any um, bad losses. But yeah, they have one one more loss than Virginia, but they haven't like Virginia lost at home to Virginia Tech. Saber hasn't experienced something like that. Isn't Virginia zero um, and two on the road in their own state right now? West Virginia. They lost. Virginia well, West Virginia is not in Virginia. Oh, my bad. I'm stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I think? I mean, Morgantown. He goes, West Virginia is a... <laughs> wow, that was yeah, bad. It's, it's, how late is it right now? It's 1130? 11.30. Oh, my God. We should just cut that out of the podcast. No, you got to <laughs> gotta own it. He looked at me like, you know West Virginia is not like just like Western Virginia, right? <laughs> It was almost a great stat. Oh, Bemidji State night. That's awesome. Yeah. That's pretty good. But no, yeah, so I I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Villanova one, Xavier two. Feels like Creighton's at a six or a seven. Seen Hall's at an eight. Um and then I'm Seton Hall's at eight, right? That's pretty harsh, I feel like. I I they're six and six in the league. Like, I get it. I get it. Are you I, expecting them yeah. to finish twelve and six or <laughs> No. Okay. No, I get. I'm, I mean, I think they're going to finish. Mm, that's not great. Nine and nine. They blew that. Then if they if they're an eight seed, they blew it because they have so much experience that they were like. They expected this to be a big year for them. If they have to play a one seed in the second round. They finished with that Xavier, obviously loss. Um, they got to go to Providence and to St. John's, and their home games are DePaul, Villanova, Butler. Like if. That's three losses. Three and right three. There, three yeah. and three is, um, and they're on a three-game losing streak. Man, how did Seton Hall go nine and nine? If that's what they do, it's very possible. That's what they're with all do. that experience they have. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
We'll see. Yeah, Seton Hall yeah, might be the team, though. I like. I wrote about this at the start of the week that last year it was Xavier who went zero and six for a stretch at the at really at this point in the year. Yeah. And it suddenly looked like oh Xavier may not make the NCAA tournament, but they figured it out and obviously made a really impressive run. Well, Butler's going March. through it right now. Butler's right. So it's hit the skids. I know, but so is Seton Hall. Yeah. I mean. You could make maybe even make an argument that Creighton has because they're three and three without Martin Crompton in the lineup. Him by DePaul, Providence, like, that's, like, yeah. but I think of all those teams, Seton Hall, because of its experience and sort of the electric nature of their players, like those guys have play. high ceilings yeah. and they play with a lot of energy and emotion. They get going on, in the on the right track. Like you could see that manifesting itself in a positive way. All sure. that. Um, um, bravado that they play with and they always play well at msg too like right. every year they've been hard to beat there so if if they can i think that's the team that has the highest ceiling of that group of middle tier teams that are kind of just sort of up and down right now and trying sure. to trying to land in a place where they can sort of skyrocket or boost themselves um you know on a in a positive path down the stretch so like but somebody's gonna do it i would think mm-hmm. i mean i i it, some even if they don't, even if no one, even if they, all these teams continue sort of this up and down, win two, lose one, lose two, win one types, type stretch down down the end of the year. I feel like somebody's going to get hot in New York, and uh, kind of build off that into into March, and and we'll see somebody other than Nova and Xavier make it a run in, in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Who that's going to be, I don't know, but if I have to pick one, I'll I'll pick Seton Hall. I think there are a couple. I think there might there. I think you make an interesting point that teams are probably going to struggle down the stretches. The league's going to have to pick itself off eventually, and someone's going to separate themselves. I do feel like it's a four to five bid league, maximum. Five I big, ma- five max. I do think people five, were talking about I seven for think, a while. I don't see seven. I don't see seven. Do you see seven? No, I, th- I think I think it's going to be five. I do too. And if it breaks right, depending on who gets wins in New York City, maybe six. But but the ones I'm the ones I'm confident about right now are. Uh, Xavier Villanova, Creighton, and Seton Hall. Yeah, that's. And I that's think hard. Butler and Providence will steal the last one. I don't think both of them get in. Though. Gotcha. So they play on Saturday. Butler and Providence. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one. Providence got them one time already, so that's a big one for Butler. Yeah. Before they host Creighton. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's a five-bit league, but I do think there might be three second weekend teams though, because I don't think, I do think it's the best league in the in the especially after watching Texas and Baylor last night. I do think it's the second best or the best league in the in the nation right now. I don't I don't think they're once they get back into non conference mode where they're playing teams that I think they're tough. I think there's a lot of tough matchups in this league, and I think there'll be hard outs in March. So mm-hmm. I think it'll I think there'll be a lot of sputtering to the finish line. But once they but after selection Sunday, I think they'll I think you might see a couple of them get on a roll as long as they can keep it together mentally. Then yeah, yeah. and physically for crying out loud, right. Um, Heavy minutes across yeah. the league oh, wow. for a lot of teams. Yeah, um, I don't know how we cleared an hour on Bemidji State, but we managed to do it. Uh, so yeah, that's that should feed uh, everybody with plenty of Big East talk for the next few days before Marquette on Saturday. Um, we'll get back to you from the clink late that night. It's a nine o'clock tip off from Creighton versus Marquette. Uh, due to state wrestling finishing up in the afternoon, Blue Jay beat way after dark. Blue Jay beat way after dark. Yeah. Maybe Matt will know his. Uh, maybe I'll know my geography, geography a little bit better. Uh, <laughs> good lord, uh, West Virginia. <laughs> um, so yeah, in the meantime, check out John's work at Omaha.com. Buy a newspaper. Uh, you got any features you want to tease for this week coming up? No. 
kidding. Probably should have asked that question off air. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, buy, buy a newspaper, read John's work. He does great stuff. Um, he's got plenty of notes and notebooks, and um, and he's a basketball junkie, so he's never – well, he doesn't have a feature. He'll have some tidbits ready for you uh, to check out, so make sure you're following his work. And then uh, head over to White and Blue Review, as always, too. Um, for all the stuff we've got post-game here and leading into uh, Creighton versus Marquette, I teased on Twitter, we got Kyrie Offense Volume 2 in the works. We saw a rough copy of that tonight. It's pretty badass, so um, we'll get that thing finished up and out to the masses. Um, In the meantime, everybody have a good week, and we'll talk to you on Saturday night slash Sunday morning, probably, after Creighton versus Marquette. Have a good night, everybody.